Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For, For Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course during the show we'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. Now a week ago the Asian Football Confederation confirmed that the remaining games in World Cup qualifying across the eight groups will be held in hubs. Now, efforts were made to bring the Socceroos hub to Australia, but our tough quarantine restrictions knocked that on the head. So Kuwait will now get the vital home advantage when the matches are played between May 31 and June 15. To find out a little bit more on the ground, Middle East style, we will talk to Middle Eastern journo, football journo, while Jabir to get to the bottom of everything that's going on over there and what the Socceroos can expect. Closer to home, Adelaide United's Ben Halloran joins us as they continue as one of the form sides in the domestic men's competition in the second hour. Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central. Now our women, of course, we always talk about the women's game on this show. Uh, They are continuing to do amazing things on the world stage. We expect nothing less these days. Most recently, of course, everyone's seen it. Sam Kerr's incredible hat-trick for Chelsea helped the club to the League Cup over Bristol City. Marissa Lordanik from the Far Poke Marissa Lordanik from the Far Post podcast and Beyond 90 joins us to talk about Sam and plenty more. Lots more in the Premier League with Dino and Dell, and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Michael, how's your week been? We were walking together uh, towards uh, the uh, show today and uh, just some massive stories uh, coming out of Europe. Yeah, some really massive stories out of Europe and South America too. Spare a thought for uh, Commabol, our friends in South America, um, as the A-League and W-League sort of rattle along, our, our only disruptions being a rolling fixture to accommodate with some border restrictions. Uh, NPL uh, competitions right around uh, the big states getting underway, but Commabol is going to be forced to play its World Cup qualifiers uh, in Portugal and Spain in a hub because of restrictions between travel between South America and Europe. So um, COVID's still ripping a heart out of uh, football right around the world, and Willem's got some big news out of Europe. I do have some big news. G'day guys, great to be back. And didn't you look romantic, Rob, as you and Michael strolled up the street towards the studio this afternoon in the, uh, <laughs> I the beautiful three o'clock Melbourne sun? <laughs> we, all, we all would have looked at treat when we were <laughs> I do want to go to Europe first, Michael, but from an Australian perspective, the biggest news of the week was Sam Kerr. She's become the first player to score a hat-trick in an English Women's League Cup final, linking frequently with Fran Kirby as Chelsea crushed Bristol 6-0. Kerr scored in the second, tenth and 48th minute, pulled out the backflip and was on the bench alongside Kirby with the job done up. An hour. And back to Frank Kirby. It could be five here. Oh, that's so unselfish. Cup final hat trick, Sam Kerr. Chelsea have five. Kerr's taking the ball home. And she might want to share it with Frank Kirby, who's teed her up for all of them. Kerr and Chelsea's next big assignment comes next Thursday morning when they take on Wolfsburg in the final eight of the Champions League. Those early concerns, those teething issues that Sam had at Chelsea are a long way in the rearview mirror now, Michael. This next week is going to be hugely exciting for Sam and for Ellie Carpenter at Lyon and, by extension, just Australian football fans. It is, and um, as you mentioned, we thought she made a slow start uh, to her career in England, but she's well and surely hit her straps now. She's uh, a hunter, a goal scorer of impeccable standards, and uh, we're starting to see the benefit of her um, getting to know the system at Chelsea. Um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully her 
stamping her authority on the European Women's Champions League fixtures and uh, and let's see how far she can take Chelsea. Uh, but Ali Carpenter, she's been starring for Olympic Lyon and uh, that just continues to, to be a great story for Australian football and she's playing at the best club in the world so you'd expect them to maybe get through to the final as well. Who knows, maybe a Chelsea and, depending on the draw, Chelsea and Olympic Lyon, Lyon final in the... Women's Champions League with Samantha Kerr and Ali Carpenter playing. Wouldn't that be good? That'd be a cracker. And we've got Marissa Lordanic uh, on in the second hour to talk more about Sam and the women's game and all of the other great stories. But uh, I, I just don't think it's too long a bow to draw to suggest that that Sam finding her feet in uh, England around the, the, you know, the, the home of football. Let's face it, these brands, Chelsea and Arsenal and all these big names and these stadiums that she's playing at. I mean, in America, it's it's relatively new world. But when she finds her feet and finds her confidence... Uh, in that environment, then it's got to surely transfer to the Matildas because as much as we've seen her um, brilliant at times with the Matildas, we haven't seen her consistent form with the Matildas. And in the last World Cup, you know, she wasn't at her best. So, you know, we obviously wanted to be at her best in the next one. And if she is, fairing and watch out. Back home, after a well-publicised period of commercial concern, the Australian professional leagues have secured another significant partner this week. McDonald's Australia have signed a deal that will extend across the A-League, W-League and E-Leagues that will aim to link the grassroots with the professional tiers of the game. A key facet of this will be the Macca's Halftime Heroes games that will take place at halftime. We know, Rob, that Hyundai has left within the last 12 months, lots of other companies reducing their deals and still no big fish, if you like, to replace mm. the naming rights partner, but the tide does just seem to be turning a little bit. Bunnings have come on co- on board, Cadbury and who could forget, Cukes Cucumbers. Yes. So, yeah, the tide is turning just a little bit, I think. Yeah, I, I sense that it is. I mean, we're seeing uh, more entertainment on the pitch. I mean, this does come off a fairly low bottom, doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, the Foxtel money was cut, uh, players left the competition, there was doom and gloom predicted, but things have started to turn around. We're seeing, as I said, entertaining football on the pitch. Some of those commercial partners, again, long uh, standing partners like Hyundai. Eventually, deals do decline, but uh, you know it all just seemed to happen at the the wrong time. So, so when you see the likes of Maccas get on board and Bunnings before them, there is a certain halo that it puts over a sport, and and it does encourage other brands to participate and uh, and hopefully uh, get involved. So, look, these these are good signs for for football in this country. It is good signs. We we commented on the two appointments they made at the APL in terms of one in broadcast and one in commercial. Uh, stuff they've obviously now separated from the federation so um, it looks like they're having some good wins and and my sources tell me that there is an exciting broadcast announcement coming that uh, the the financial return for the clubs uh, is going to be the best ever so um, let's just wait to see how that uh, is your source's name stanley i'm not revealing who my source is or it could be short for stan if you like i'm not sure Anyway, Maybe it could it be. Uh, having said all of that, but the pressure's on the Federation commercial guys now because uh, no Socceroos uh, sponsor, and I think we're coming up to two years without that. So, And they're going into a really important time with their hub in, in Kuwait for World Cup qualifiers. So the pressure on uh, at the Federation, not so much at the APL. Adelaide United's Kusini Yengi has admitted the racist abuse he suffered after his starring performance against Melbourne Victory detracted from his special moment. Police have this week chased the perpetrator of racist emojis posted on Yengi's Instagram account, although Bruce Jitte, of course, Director of Football at Adelaide, admitted there's no guarantees they would be found. Jitte has, however, floated the concept of cross-code bans for anyone found guilty of vilification at a South Australian sporting event, with the Adelaide Crows backing the idea early doors. Can't abhor those comments strongly enough, guys, but unfortunately one of the, the most the most sad parts about the, the racist incident is that we haven't been speaking about his on-field performance. So for the sake of balance, I thought we would talk about his performance and 
like many sort of tall young strikers, he hasn't particularly impressed me in times gone by. He's looked a bit sort of gangly and loose. You can call him the giraffe on roller skates if you like. But the other night, he came on, he was balanced, he was assertive, and he was effective. He ripped the victory apart, so hugely exciting. Hugely exciting, and I must admit, I absolutely loved his goal celebration, and uh, there were some hilarious uh, responses from the victory fans, and... uh, um, yeah, quite quite a bit going around on social media that was positive. The racism stuff, uncalled for, completely outrageous, should never happen. Call it out, ban these people. But uh, let's not uh, lose sight of uh, the fun in the game. And uh, I thought his goal celebration was was a classic, and it and it rightly got a lot of uh, got a, a lot of response. There was plenty of victory fans laughing in the and, in and the that, crowd. But that's the unfortunate thing about it, isn't it, Edge? There, there, there was a, a great story around the football side of things for a young man who goes from you know being a gang youth to uh, to delivering and then you see some genuine humour from the fans who appreciate it and it just takes these uh, clowns to, to get out there and, and, and post a few cheap shots I just hope Big Tech finally does to some anonymous coward uh, sitting in the sewer of Twitter somewhere what they did with uh, Donald Trump yeah, uh, when they party because they can do it and there's just going to be an example and once they do it then hopefully verified the accounts on, uh, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook are the way to go yep Graham Arnold has stated he plans to take a bumper 34-man squad to Kuwait for the Socceroos' remaining first-round AFC qualifiers in June. The Socceroos will be facing short turnarounds in hot conditions, with matches scheduled for the 3rd, 7th, 11th and 15th of the month. Arnie's desire to pick 34 players, though, Michael, is unlikely to go down well locally because the A-League finals are scheduled for the exact same time. You just hope we don't get to the end of what has been the best A-League season in five or six years and long may it continue and have something like this clash it'll be well, a I'm huge a, shame but it's going to happen by the I'm looks. a country over club man every day of the week and, uh, and there's some nuances in this if we actually go through and do really well and, and undefeated we actually improve our ranking points which is going to help us with a seeding with the with the next round we'll get a, we'll get lesser uh, seat ranked opponents in the in that September qualifying period so it is really important I'm with Graham take 100 players because you know four games in in 12 or 13 days whatever it is in 40 degree heat he's going to need a big bench mm. and uh, and I'm with Arnie all the way here so you can stick your Wellington Phoenix up your um, clacker <laughs> Jeez, all right yeah I think I think we're all on board with the, with the, with the, the green and gold over I'm uh, on board I'm a club over, yeah. I'm a country over club man as well but that would be a shocker come on well, it's just the look. The, the calendars clash, you know. So at the end of the day, uh, they clash, and and uh, some clubs are going to lose uh, some big big players to the national team at the most inopportune time. And we know as night follows day, someone's going to whinge about it. But uh, Arnie, do what you got to do. All right, good start, Willem. Well, we are going to go to the Middle East next. Uh, we're going to talk to a whale Jabir from Dubai. He's uh, an authority on Middle Eastern football, and he knows exactly what's going on on the ground in Kuwait. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now, we all heard a week ago that the Socceroos are going to have to play their final World Cup qualifying games in the current group in uh, in a hub in Kuwait. It's uh, it's going to be hot, it's going to be challenging, but uh, a man who will know all about conditions on the ground in Kuwait is uh, Dubai-based uh, football journalist and editor of Adaf. His name is Wael Jabir, and welcome to you. And can I say, Gifek Hamdela Benazarek Wael, am I right with my uh, my Arabic there? Yes, yes, very good. Thank you very much. 
No other things. But we're very good over here. It's a little warm this afternoon, uh, um, and uh, my the fact that I've got half Lebanese pedigree in me, it sort of extends out to limited uh, Lebanese or Arabic as I go, but I can say hello and goodbye and a few other nasty little things uh, from time to time when my brothers are annoying <laughs> me, mate. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, while we Australia has obviously been exposed to Middle Eastern football a lot in the past uh, couple of decades, uh, we ha- we host uh, Middle Eastern teams in this country a lot. We see our Socceroos head over to the Middle East a lot, and we often find that uh, that uh, despite world rankings, that um, that our team goes to the Middle East and uh, and slips on a banana peel. Uh, uh, we're expecting a real challenging time in Kuwait, not the least of which with the weather. But tell us, um, the the recent ACL finals uh, were held in Qatar in a similar hub. So what, what can you tell us about the hub environment in Kuwait and, and what the, the, uh, the teams uh, that will be in that hub can expect? Yeah, uh, obviously you can expect uh, some similarities, but also quite a few differences compared to compared to Qatar. So even for the Australian or other Australian players who've played in, in Qatar, it will be a bit different. Uh, for one, of course, the, the time of the year the, the competition is being played, the qualifiers will be in June, which is really the start of summer in this part of the world. So that's going to be a challenge. Uh, the other difference, of course, being that the, the stadiums at Qatar are air-conditioned, whereas in, in Kuwait, they're not. So definitely, this is the word that you've, you've mentioned earlier, heat, that's going to be a major, a major contributor there. Uh, and to be honest, uh, even within the context of the Middle East, uh, Kuwait is by far the hottest country in the region. Uh, especially in the summer. So I was having a look actually at the dates, temperature records from last year, and for the same 12-day period that the qualifiers will will take place, day temperatures were 46 and more on each one of these. It's just, uh, it's going to be extraordinary for um, the Australian players going out there, but... um, uh, we know that uh, within the Gulf region and uh, the Middle East more generally, the rivalries between the Middle Eastern countries in, when it comes to football is pretty extreme. And one of those rivalries is Jordan and Kuwait. And I understand the Jordan Football Association is extremely disappointed with Kuwait getting to host this event because obviously in Group B, Jordan and Kuwait are equal on points. And and that second spot, if, if, if things continue with the form as we expect in Australia, can sneak through top of the table... Um, the second spot is uh, is is really cutthroat because it, it's a chance for one of those nations to go through to the final phase of qualification. So, what can you tell us about the um, about how Jordan's football association's feeling about all of this, uh, Whale? Yeah, uh, they are definitely disappointed. To borrow their own world, they've described the decision as baffling in their statement that they've issued. Uh, and again, they've said they will be filing an official complaint to to the AFC about about the decision. Obviously. They, well, they had two points. One of weather, but the second one was that they were not happy with the changes made to the schedule, and they believe this would negatively impact their hopes of qualification. So, as you mentioned, yeah, one is the rivalry, and the other point, which uh, which has been made, is the fact that at the same time of the year, temperatures in Jordan is somewhere around ten to fifteen degrees cooler than Kuwait. So, it would have been weather-wise a much more convenient place to play the qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And I know from um, the Australian camp's perspective that they're not only worried about uh, 
pitch, uh, sorry, uh, the heat conditions. They're worried about pitch conditions with so many games in a short period of time and the amount of water that in summer goes onto the pitches and the, the extent of uh, the, the, the quick drying during the day and then overnight and all the sorts of issues that... Uh, face um, groundsmen in the in the Middle East. Uh, I, I know that's a real big concern of the Australians. Uh, Australia's um, Wales going to looks like it's going to take thirty players because of um, the the games in quick succession and plus four goalkeepers, so thirty four player thirty four players in total. Um, what's um, what's your perspective of Australia at the moment and um, and how we're travelling and um, and what sort of um, you know what sort of uh, welcome can the Australians expect in Kuwait? It would be an interesting one. Of course, the the Kuwait AFA has recently been talking about uh, well bringing fans back into stadiums just in time for the qualifiers. So it would be an interesting one to see whether that actually happens or not. And I think that would make. I believe would make a significant difference in terms of you know the support the Kuwaitis will be getting and of course how the experience will be for for the Sakharov players coming into into Kuwait. So that's one to watch out for in terms of the pitch. Uh, definitely, I guess until today, we've not had confirmation of whether all the games will be at one stadium. Of course, in Kuwait you have the national stadium, the Jabber Stadium, which is uh, I would describe as a as a world-class stadium, it was opened only a few years ago. Uh, I've been there. I remember watching the Gulf Cup final uh, between Oman and the UAE there. Uh, must have been like three years ago. So it is a quality stadium. But uh, as you've mentioned, yeah, uh, the question of playing all those games in quick succession on the same pitch with the with the temperatures and the, and the water drying, it's, it's not an easy situation to be in. So it remains to be seen whether whether Kuwait will, will assign a second stadium as well so that the, the matches will be split between the two. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Wael Jabir, founder and editor of Adaf, a, a publication online. You can find him on Twitter with uh, all of his uh, writings on football on the Middle East in, in on Google uh, somewhere. If you search, uh, it will be easy to find. Now, Wael, uh, the Kuwaiti football side, uh, they've made the World Cup uh, once in 1982 um, to, to make a, ostensibly what's a home region World Cup uh, would be um, uh, an incredible honour. Um, you look at the, 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 the Kuwait squad right now and every single player in that squad plays in the Kuwait domestic competition. Uh, so insofar as their ability to compete with, you know, the Socceroos and to a lesser extent, Jordan, um, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how, how that uh, team environment uh, gels. But uh, uh, are they, uh, what sort of uh, level of optimism do you have that, that uh, they, could, uh, uh, they could qualify? Yeah, I think these qualifiers are extremely important for Kuwaiti football fans uh, who, let's remember that Kuwait has come back from a ban on football for two years between 2015 and 2017. So they'd actually missed out on the 2018 World Cup qualifiers. They missed out on the 2019 Asian Cup. And as a result of that, uh, as you mentioned, Kuwait has a has a proud history in terms of football in, in this region. They have reached the World Cup. They've, they've won the, the Gulf Cup numerous times they are they are a country or they've won the asian cup as well so uh i'm sorry they've hosted the asian cup and they have a proud history of football uh but the fact is because of the band their fifa ranking has plummeted to 189th which is in nowhere a fair reflection of their of their situation and there's no no more proof of that than the fact that since returning to international football they've climbed 41 places over three years so they are gradually getting back to where their natural places but 
again, it's a gradual process, and these qualifiers play an important part of this. I mean, as recently as 1998, Kuwait was were ranked 24th on FIFA rankings. So the quality of their players is there. Uh, perhaps not so much the quality of domestic competitions, which is, again, uh, have been impacted by the ban on football. But there have been quite a lot of Kuwaiti players playing their football in stronger leagues in the region, be it in Saudi or Qatar or, or the UAE as well. So, so yeah, I think it's quite important for them, especially coming at this time after returning from, from the ban. Wael, I can't leave without asking about the United Arab Emirates. Uh, we know you're based in uh, Dubai, but uh, UAE hosted uh, the last edition of the Asian Cup and fell at the final hurdle against bitter rivals Qatar. It must have been a, a tough pill to swallow for UAE fans to be beaten by Qatar on your home soil. How has um, the Federation and football in the UAE responded to that loss? And uh, what's your and, and how looking forward for this qualification campaign? How's has the UAE placed? It's an interesting one. Of course, it, uh, the result was a major blow, and it didn't help that they actually faced Qatar just a few months after that in the Gulf Cup, and and they lost four two. So again, it was back to back defeat to to bitter rivals, as you mentioned. So a lot had to change. There have been significant changes, and there, there are a lot of changes that have been going within the within the FA here in the UAE within the national team, of course, the now with the return of uh, Bert van Marvik, a man who you, you, got, you guys know, it, uh, his dismissal the first time has been seen as some sort of a mistake. So that's a, a mistake that has been amended. Uh, a number of, uh, well, a number of ne- neutralized players who have been introduced into, a number of naturalized players who have been introduced into the UE squad. So I think, you know, there are movements into 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 a new direction and i think the qualifiers now with the fact that they will be hosted in the uae makes a huge difference because we've seen the uae has struggled to travel to to southeast asia you know playing against the likes of vietnam and and thailand it's not been it's not been easy so i think to to have to basically to have the advantage of hosting of hosting the the remaining qualifiers at home i think it would be a big advantage for the uae well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, great insights from you there. We uh, are looking forward to these qualifiers, no matter where they'll be or whether they're in high hub or not. Uh, it's been too long since any of us have had the chance to see our national sides play, so it'll be just fantastic to Take see Take the SPF 55 plus uh, the Socceroos. They're going to, uh, it'll be even too hot to ever swim in the pool whale, won't it? It would be, yes. But that, well, nevertheless, as you said, it's football and we are looking forward to it. We are, absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, Wales will be a Middle East and Dubai based football journalist. His uh, uh, Twitter handle is at AHDAAF underscore capital ME, Adaft ME, and uh, you'll find plenty of his writing on Middle Eastern football. And you want to do that if you're a genuine football fan. We'll obviously the... tag him in into the podcast as well. So, uh, without question. So, people can get access to his content. Uh, it was very insightful. That's it. Alamayek, Wael. Right, Alex. Bye. Next, Ben Halloran will be talking to the Adelaide United midfield striker. They're doing great stuff in the A League on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a busy first hour, and. Uh, 
We um, we're going to turn our attention to Adelaide United uh, under uh, the new coach Carl Viet. Uh, they are doing some great things in the A League, sitting third on the ladder right now. They started off out of the blocks, had a bit of a dip, but they've they've fought back and they've got a game in hand. And uh, our next guest, uh, Ben Halloran, is uh, key to uh, that success. How are you, Ben? Yeah, really well, thanks, guys. So, Ben, uh, so we, um, you know, we've followed your fortunes over the years. Um, you know, you've uh, uh, you started out um, with Gold Coast United um, in the early days. You played for Brisbane for a little while, and then you, you went to Fortuna Dusseldorf. You played in Japan for a little while, and then you know you've been back at Adelaide for for a couple of seasons. So you're a very experienced player, and uh, um, and and the club that that you're with right now uh, is a club that uh, has had plenty of success in its own right. But uh, in so far as Adelaide is uh, as a city is concerned, um, it's a proud sporting city and expects uh, results. So uh, it's uh, it's a good time to be there. Given Adelaide size, you know they they tend to you know punch above their weight, and I think Adelaide United's proved that over the last well, pretty much the whole you know since uh, since A League's inception. And um, yeah, the team at the moment, I think we're really you know building towards something. Ben, I wanted to talk about your captain Stefan Mork. Externally, there were maybe a few questions asked when he, oh, a few eyebrows raised, if you like, when he was appointed captain. But he's been really strong and quite vocal off the pitch as well as strong on it. Uh, his form has followed, and the team is flying. What are the features of his leadership? Yeah, for sure. I think um, you know he's a he's a young captain, um, but you know he's he's led by example. He's you know really contributed in the last couple of weeks, scoring some important goals for us and. Um, you know, he has those leadership qualities that, that you need in, in, in a captain and um, I think he's delivered on and, on and off the pitch. He certainly has. Um, but uh, I noticed uh, was was interesting his comments post-game. He talked about uh, the Adelaide-based players understanding the significance of the traditional rivalry with Melbourne Victory and that uh, you saw Melbourne Victory as a... You know, they're not having a great season, so you saw a real chance to get a result. Uh, you went a goal down early and then... Um, there was a bit of an onslaught. Um, can you tell us about the lead up to that game, and um, you know how much motivation the local South Australians took from the opportunity to, to knock off one of your rivals? Yeah, well, that's the thing. We have so many players at the moment that were born and bred in Adelaide, so they have memories of going to original rivalries when they when they were growing up, and having coaches like Ross Aloisi and Carl Veard, who you know, integral parts of those teams in the past, you know, they didn't really have to drill it into the players how important this game was, you know, because the majority of our team have grown up watching these games. So I think to have a chance to, to play in the, the game itself was a massive occasion for so many of these players and they really took it with both hands. Yeah, it was a great uh, it was a great side and young Cassini Yengi scored a, a wonderful goal and then um, we all enjoyed his, uh, his celebration. So, Ben, from your perspective, did you have a bit of a giggle when you, when you saw him do that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, when he jumped the fence, I think everyone kind of, everyone in the team was a bit shocked and were like, oh, you better jump over the fence and back up our teammate. Um, yeah, we, we love to see it. You know, that's why people go to the footy. They, they want to see that passion and it means so much to, it meant so much to Cassini, but obviously to the whole team as well. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Adelaide United's Ben Halloran. And sadly, the dark side of that story was uh, the, the racism and abuse that came out on social media. So getting behind a young player, as you did uh, in, in the spirit of uh, a goal on the park, uh, how do you get around a young guy who, you know, he's, he's come out and said that, 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 that it did actually, you know, cut quite deep and, uh, and the, the filth that goes on on social media we all know about. But uh, how, how do you manage it as a senior club man who has got experience? You wouldn't have had your own experience with racism as such, but... Uh, but you know how to uh, to to help uh, young footballers who are going through difficult times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't 
you know, relate on a personal level what that must have been like for, for Cassini, but he's a he's a really strong, proud, you know, young Australian and I think it's very important that the club, you know, got behind him after the unfortunate incident of um, what happened on social media and, you know, I'm, I think we're all just proud of Cassini for what he's achieved and, you know, we don't stand for, for racism in any form at our club and hopefully by making an example of these these cowards and social media, and hopefully things will change. And your own boss, Bruce Jitte, he's come out and said, uh, and will call for a, a, a an all-round sports boycott on players, or fans, I should say, that um, that get involved, and uh, the Crows have gotten behind it, and uh, no doubt uh, Port Adelaide as well. So uh, if somehow or other they can track these idiots down, then they can uh, make an example of one of them and uh, and uh, and show the others that uh, it's uh, you know even if it's for selfish reasons that they keep their mouth shut, that um, that they're uh, there's no room for this garbage. Anyway, moving back onto the park, you've got uh, Newcastle Jets uh, this uh, uh, this round, and uh, they're a side that's not to be underestimated. They've had their own battles uh, this season from the very get-go, and uh, uh, they've just been punching above their weight all, all year, only on 11 points, but uh, but really not that far off the, the top six. So uh, that, that's a, a contest that uh, that's going to be uh, a, a genuine one. Yeah, for sure. I think it's... Um you know, given the form we're in, we've won four in a row, but this is the game that you don't want to go in underestimating them just because of their position on the table. Um, they've been pretty unlucky, I think, in a lot of, you know, a lot of their results. I think even the game we beat them, like it could have easily have gone either way. And, you know, as you said, you know, they lost their coach early on in the season and, um, haven't had the, the, weren't able to get necessarily the biggest squad together, but they've, you know, they've got a very attractive style of play and especially on the home surf, they're always hard to beat. Ben, you've you've been around a little bit now, and uh, I mean you're not a you're not a veteran. You've still got plenty of le- uh, time left in your career to achieve uh, lots. Um, but the circumstances of COVID, the re- reduction in the uh, the broadcast rights, have met some circumstances where there are greater opportunities for younger players in the league. And and Adelaide's been one of those teams that uh, led the way. Just from um, your perspective, when you're at training, seeing some of this local young talent that's coming through the system, um, how exciting are you as a football person but obviously for your club but um, you know what can you reflect on some of this young talent I mean we saw Yasengi and uh, El Torre's been um, um, going around beautifully um, uh, the two boys there the brothers but what what can you tell us about um, what you're observing and how how much excitement you're getting from seeing the young players uh, get an opportunity to make an impact yeah it's great I think you know not for our club but it's been you know across the league how many young you know, how much young Australian talent is coming through and re- really shining, you know. Um, COVID may have meant that, you know, squads had to be reduced a little bit with the salary cap and everything, but, you know, if you look at the top goal scorers at the moment, the players that are really performing well, they're mostly young Australian players. So, you know, you're going to take your hats off to them. They've really, you know, revamped the league. It's a really exciting league, I think, and um, credit to them. I think a big part of the reason the league has bounced back so well is all these young boys, first and foremost, earning that opportunity, but then actually taking and stepping up and delivering. And Ben, from a national team point of view, it's been a while since you've been involved, but Graham Arnold's announced he's going to take 34 players to Kuwait for the uh, for the upcoming assignment there in the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, you know, you'll probably say that your mind's on the job with Adelaide United, but when you put your head on the pillow at night, are you allowing yourself to maybe dream that a bit of good form at the back end of the campaign could have you in Arnie's sights? Well, if you're taking 34 players, then I might consider it a little more. <laughs> you need to take um, some sunscreen. It's only going to be 55 degrees. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, 
yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always in, it's always in the back of my mind. Um, I haven't pulled on the green and gold for a while, but you know, yeah, as you said at the start, I have a good back end of the season. No reason I, I can't be chosen, but um, yeah, for me, it's always just been a bit of a bonus to play for the national team. But yeah, it's something I'd love to do again for sure. And how do you reflect on that Brazil 2014 World Cup? I mean, you played at the absolute pinnacle of the sport at a young age. Obviously, the game's moved moved on very quickly in terms of the national team, and it seems like a long time ago. How do you do you reflect on it often? How do you sort of look back on it? Uh, yeah, not too often. I mean, it was, a, it was an amazing time. I mean, that's the highest level I've, I've ever played at, and it was a pretty surreal experience to play against, you know, the likes of Spain and, and Holland and, and Chile. Um but yeah, I mean, I was only, it was a very short-lived experience. So, you know, I've got a few years left in my career and it'd be great to, you know, to add a few more to that. And insofar as that potential for for for, um, for national sides, we we you know we we do seriously ask these questions because you know you're you're still a relatively uh, young player in the in the, the scheme of um, of long term careers these days at the age of twenty eight, and uh, you know we're seeing players extend their careers until their their mid thirties. So if if it was uh, if you were capable of doing that at the time, uh, you know what what is it that you expect to hear from uh, from the national coach? Do, do they communicate to players who are who are in the frame? Do do you, do you get any feedback from the national coaching setup, or is it, or are you just waiting, uh, you know, to, to, to get that phone call or that email that just uh, that, that lands? Yeah, there's really not too much communication. I think if you're involved in a squad, then you'll receive a phone call or an email. But if you're not, then yeah, they don't really communicate too much with you, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And well, Ben, uh, good luck for the rest of the season, mate. It's uh, it's uh, it's been a cracking season. Uh, I think uh, it, from the from the the low depths of post COVID and the, the Foxtel deal getting cut, you know, so many people uh, looked at the players that were leaving the competition and just forgot for a moment to think that it was going to give opportunities to to young players. But also, you know, you're, you're not at that sort of veteran status yet, but you're a, a senior uh, professional who has been around for a while. So, uh, if there's one thing's for sure, we're seeing a lot of entertaining uh, football on the park, and it's a credit to all the players because it's uh, those players that are uh, that are showing well that are interesting the uh, uh, the the um, the TV uh, bosses to to put some money back into the game so so keep keep it up mate and uh, uh, we uh, we hope to, to see Adelaide uh, continue to do well towards the back end of the season yeah thanks a lot thanks thanks for the call not at all Ben and Halloran from uh, Adelaide United doing really well under very important player for for Adelaide United he is well and truly uh, one of the uh, first picked in that team and uh, I'd say that he's he's got a uh, he's not talking himself up but I'd say he'd have to be in Dispatches, uh, as they talk about well, uh, he's, national he's teams. He's played in the World Cup. He's, had, he's been capped six times. He, he played in the the Bundesliga for Fortuna Dusseldorf 30, 37 times. You, d- you don't do that in, unless you're a seriously good player. So, uh, you know, is Arnie looking at all of these players? I'm sure right? he is. I'm yeah. sure he is. Okay, yeah. all right. We'll, uh, we'll watch this space. Maybe we've just given him the push along. Maybe Arnie's listening and he's thinking, those bikes on box to box know a bit about what they're talking about. Maybe Ben might need to start. You know, stocking up on the sunscreen. Exactly. All right. Stick around. More A-leg after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's A-leg time. But before we get there... We want to talk about our friends at Chemist Warehouse who have got the flu shot just waiting for you to take. So don't let your flu, don't let the flu ruin your plans this year. Get in early and help protect yourself and your family and your friends. 
with the flu vaccination available at Chemist Warehouse. The quadrivalent vaccine may help protect against four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect. So be a flu fighter and help protect yourself by heading into Chemist Warehouse. Their immunisation service is quick and convenient. I've had it myself. It is fair to very easy. You just jump online to chemistwarehouse.com.au forward slash flu. Book your appointment there. It's $14.99. Chemist Warehouse, the lowest prices every day. You're getting your, uh, your COVID-19 vaccine at some point in the future. But if you're a younger person and you're in the queue, get your flu vaccine now. If you're an older person, get your COVID-19. Wait a couple of weeks and get your flu vaccine then. We'll all be doing it, won't we, gentlemen? Sounds good to me. And I'm way back in the queue. You are. So get your flu vaccine now. Absolutely. Yep. At right. Chemist Warehouse. Don't want to be catching you're the in the, off you. You're in the far queue. Beautiful work, Edge. I mean, seriously, we had the bar raised so high for the show. and you mm. just Up there of, with the Michael Holding Close Canal. Yes, exactly. All right. What are you? All right, Dino's well, here, isn't he? Hey, Dino, how are you? I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Definitely. Dino's in the uh, the head of the queue for the COVID-19 vaccine because he's so old. <laughs> it's not very oh, nice. I wouldn't have thought. No, he's a couple of years older than both you and I, Edge, so maybe you pull your head in. <laughs> okay, yeah. thanks. Dino, you join us this week for the best segment of the show. It's the A-League segment, but it's going to take a slightly different form this week. We've decided we're not, yeah, going, to, saw that, yep. we're not going to rattle through the five to seven games as we've been doing because we just haven't been able to discuss the big issues in depth enough. So instead, we're going to go to a headline format. We're going to pull out three or four big issues from the week and discuss them in depth. And the first one we've got here, Michael, is that the VAR strikes again, of course, ruling out Wellington's equaliser through Tomo Hamed late in there. Well, it was a 4-3. Absolute classic against Western Sydney Wanderers at Bank West uh, midweek. Nothing that we haven't discussed before. I just think that it, I mean, as we know it, it tears at the uh, the fabric of the game. But by the rules we've been going off the last little while, it, it was offside. So in this specific instance, I don't think we could complain, but it's just the, the broader issue of VAR ruling out uh, a result. In this one, I don't think there should have been a winner. Well, for me, first of all, what a game um, highlighted by the amazing uh, long-range strike by Devlin, followed up by Mitchell Duke's chest and volley goal. Wilmering uh, as well. Yeah, and then obviously the, the drama with uh, the Israeli superstar, Toma Hamada. Wasn't it fantastic to see some uh, some support for him in the, in the grandstand? Between um, Davila and, and, and him, Wellington have got... To, They've got some entertainment there, haven't they, Dino? But VAR, for me, it's really simple. It's, it, it should be relied upon for the Howlers. Um, that offside decision, um, look, it was was offside by a couple of millimetres. Um, I don't think that's what VAR was designed for. And we miss out on a, a incredible crescendo to the end of that game because of the way it was interpreted. What do you think, Dino? Yeah, look, I'll go back to the World Cup edge. I mean, that's most probably the best example that we've got that it was done very very quickly you know the decisions were made and 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 really it didn't really interrupt the game but over certainly in the uk certainly in the a-league there's like a waiting time and you know you want the answer straight away and and i think if we can go back to the same model that the world cup was done the last time the world cup was played it was a good var system the next headline on the agenda is that the victory sink further into their malaise despite the box-to-box blowtorch last week. Um, I went on Saturday night and, look, they were no good on the field, but it was if the week before against Melbourne City was was uh, fans reacted with sort of anger and frustration and disappointment, this week was just genuine sadness. Uh, the 
uh, reported crowd figure was 5,000. I don't think there could have been any more than two. However, the at chairman... At Marvel Stadium. At Marvel Stadium. I was looking around... That's a horror like, show. There cannot be more than two and a half, And then sunk to the lowest here. of the lows with the racism story as well. And the only good story coming out of victory right now is their women's team. That's right. Um, Dino, um, I mean, there's more injuries than you can poke a stick at. I'm going to ask you as a technical director of a semi-pro team, um, yeah. the, the, the amount of soft tissue injuries they've had... Um, you have to question the management and the program of the players because they've had like eight or nine of them. Uh, it's just, to me, um, there's got to be some serious focus put on that, on the strength and conditioning and the, um, the, you know, the player management perspective of what's going on down there. Would you agree or not? Oh, look, I mean, it's, it's an easy thing to do and, and you go down that, that, that route and, you know, you question Mark realistically especially with full-time, how long they do a pre-season for. Like, if in the semi-professional, like, version of it, we, we let's say, just say Pasco Bell and all MPL teams have had three pre-seasons in the last 12 months. And um, and luckily, we haven't had any soft tissue injuries, but the, we do a lot of work based on you know, just having the right medical staff to, to give us the right advice for soft tissues because it's really important. So... I, I, I can't put my finger on it. I can't tell you why it happens, but um, there is obviously in some teams having and difficulties with their medical staff and not really getting the, the right results to get them on the pitch. The focus is definitely there, isn't it, Willem? I mean, um, the fans are screaming about it and uh, it looks like they've lost a couple more from last week's to, to soft tissue injuries. Yeah, they're going to start to run very, very thin and it's an issue that has been around uh, for a long time. Dino, switching uh, focus to the victory's big blue opponents this Saturday night. They've got a major issue at the moment in goals, that being uh, Andrew Redmayne. He's made two genuine howlers in the past couple of weeks. Uh, a couple of weeks ago against Brisbane, he did his best Rob Green impression and then against the Jets, he tried to play out and just got it all awfully wrong. Is it time that Steve Corica makes a change? I think with Redmayne, I mean, with most goalkeepers, you could drop them and get a reaction. I think with Redmayne, uh, and this isn't a criticism of him, but we've seen throughout his career, he's a particularly sort of, he's a, he's a player who's can get very, very low on confidence. And we've seen him lose his confidence at the heart and not be able to turn it around, leave the club. Similar story with Western Sydney. Uh, is it possible that if you drop him, you lose him for good? Yeah, look, it, it, it might be the case, um Willem, you know, it's, um, I mean, look, goalkeepers are di a different breed. Like, uh, you know, all football teams have to have them. Um, and, you know, and, and, and for me, it's, it's a very, very particular type of, I think, frame of mind with goalkeepers is like that there are only, there's one of you, possibly two of you, maybe three of you in big clubs, and only one can play. And for me, it, you know, it's not like an out when you play an outfield. It's a totally different role. So I think their confidence, and especially if they do have a howler, then that can really push them down into depths where they can sometimes not get out of it. So I think for me, if I was a keeper, which I wasn't, I would just go, look, you're all going to make mistakes, but you're just going to then just get back on the horse and get on it quickly and ride to the next uh, contest. And then the final news item here, Rob, is that the Mariners were able to force a point against Perth in the pouring rain, a highly entertaining clash. Uh, I am ready to declare that they are the real deal. We've been on this ride with them for 10 weeks now, and long may it continue. They are finding ways to get results late, whether that be facing adversity, whether it be the weather, whether it be starting 30 minutes late. I mean, when they lost uh, Gianni Stensness uh, three or four weeks ago, I thought 
the wheels might fall off because he's so solid for them. He's already back now and he's making little appearances off the bench because in the most polite way possible. He hasn't been required because they've got mm. such strong depth. I mean, Michael Yanotta isn't even getting a game and he's coming for them. Um, where do you think they're at? Are you ready to... Uh I mean, ACL at least, surely. Oh, yeah, I'm more than prepared to declare them. I mean, we've already referred to it once on the show tonight that uh, when we started back in 2015-16, uh, Leicester City were the story that we, we followed the whole uh, year, the whole season, and, uh, and we uh, were gradually getting more and more belief in, in their ability to actually go all the way. In the end, they won the title by 10 points and uh, uh, and were convincing winners. So uh, there was never ultimately any doubt. So uh, I think Alan Stajic has uh, proven himself yet again. I mean, he's uh, a Hall of Fame uh, coach at Sydney FC with uh, his efforts with the women. We all know what he did with the Matildas. Uh, his departure, there's another story altogether, but uh, it doesn't affect uh, his ability to coach teams. And uh, he's got some great players, senior, a senior cabal of players led by Matt Simon and some... Uh, incredible juniors uh, with uh, Alu Kual and, uh, and others who are just doing amazing things so it's wonderful but they were not 5,000 to 1 at the start of the no. season I did look at an odds aggregator what were they? can't be 5,000 to 1 in a salary no, league no but they were 34 to 1 that's what that, that's, that's what, what I found I thought that would have been more than that yeah I said uh, we've got 8 yeah. matches across the next week starting with Western Sydney hosting Perth Glory we've got 2 on Saturday 2 on Sunday 1 on Monday and then a double header on Wednesday night all right, boys, well done. Dino, thank you, mate. You stick around. Um, after the break, uh, we're going to talk a bit more news and we're going to talk to Marissa Lord-Danik, but we'll have you and, uh, and Derek on the line to talk Europe and wrap it up with stoppage time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, join us after the break. It's going to be a busy next hour on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and This is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News, Talk Sport. Now, busy first hour, but uh, even busier second hour. We've got second edition news with Willem shortly, all the latest on the, the Socceroos and Matildas, and then we're going to keep the conversation going on about the Matildas as the uh, the W League winds up, and we've got Sam Kerr scoring hat-tricks uh, in the Women's Super League. Marissa Lordanik from the Far Post podcast and Beyond 90 will join us. More on Europe with Dino and Dell. Plenty going on there. It's a bit of a break from uh, club football at the moment, but... Uh, busy, busy times because we've obviously got uh, the FA Cup coming up this weekend and then uh, there's international qualifiers for the World Cup around the world. We'll talk to them about the football of this week in Europe and stoppage time. We'll wrap it up. We're going to have an interesting conversation about the departure of uh, Sheffield United manager Chris Wilder and uh, and the football stroke business side of that and how that all played out. But Willem, you got plenty more news for us. I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. The Socceroos World Cup qualifying campaign is finally back on track. So make sure 2021 is the year you see the world with the Green and Gold Army. They'll help you support the Socceroos and Matildas in all corners of the globe. Sign up to the mailing list at ggatravel.com.au. Outside of Sam Kerr's Cup final heroics, a couple of other Matildas have found their way onto the score sheet this week. Emily Van Egmond scored for West Ham in a 2 all draw with Birmingham City. Although the Hammers would be sitting last but for goal difference in the Women's Super League with five games to play. To Everton, Hayley Rasso has been in the thick of it. She played the full 90 in a 4-0 thumping of Birmingham last week before being dealt a reality check in a 3-0 loss to Chelsea. To France, Mary Fowler scored for the second week running as Montpellier notched a 4-1 away win to Le Havre. That's her fourth goal in 16 for the club. Not all of those have been full 90-minute matches. A lot of them have been off the bench, so that's actually not a bad return. Michael, has there been any update on her international future within your wide and varied network? Uh, it's an interesting one because um, the relationship between the Federation and 
Mary and her family has uh, not been good um, generally and um, and obviously we reflect on uh, the Federation's probably an error by not capping her in France, which means she's still eligible for Ireland, so we have to wait and see, but she's doing really well in uh, in France. My uh, spies tell me that uh, she's she's doing really, really well, and, uh, and, and she's obviously a, a major prospect for us. To the gents, Martin Boyle scored from the penalty spot, but it was Jackson Irvine who earned the plaudits for Hibs, running the show as they defeated Ross County 2-1. Matt Leckie played 30 minutes off the bench for Hertha Berlin in their Bundesliga loss to Borussia Dortmund, while Aziz Bayic played a full match as Kayserispor lost again in Turkey. They're having a bit of a grim season. A quick goalkeeper's wrap to finish. Matt Ryan and Danny Vukovic remained on the bench for their respective sides, but Lawrence Thomas kept a clean sheet for Sondiask in Denmark. They are floating perilously close to the Danish relegation round with one game to play. They split their 12 teams into 6-6, six and six. so that was crucial, as is this next week coming up. And to Japan, Mitch Langerak has kept another clean sheet for Nagoya Grampus. They haven't lost in their first five matches. In fact, they've won all of them. They beat Vissel Kobe 1-0 and Mitch is putting a stack of pressure on both Matty Ryan and Graham Arnold for a starting spot in Q8. You would think he would and um, he has to go to uh, Q8 and then he has to figure with a chance, especially with Ryan not playing. We're going to start with a really nasty and sad story. We'll get this one out of the way and then we'll have some fun later on. The long-awaited Sheldon review into historical child sexual abuse in the English game has found the Football Association did not do enough to keep children safe. The report focused on the abuse of children between 1970 and 2005 and found significant institutional failings meant the FA was too slow to implement protection measures. FA Chief Executive Mark Bullingham has offered a heartfelt apology to all victims, admitting that there is no excuse, while abuse survivor Gary Cliff has described it as a monumental day. And we just hope going forward that people like Gary can find some sort of closure and there's there's many victims who are not survivors. It's taken uh, a horrible toll over the years, so to their families, hopefully there can be some form of closure as well. Yeah, exactly, mate. Uh, we've tried to cover this story as best we can over the years on, on this podcast. It pretty much emerged when we started uh, out in the 2015-16 season and uh, whenever there's been news crop up uh, as a result of it, uh, it's just the, the saddest of sad stories, isn't it? Um, whenever children are involved uh, and uh, sexual abuse is uh, um, a part of that, uh, it's uh, the sort of thing that none of us can really reconcile with and uh, and for it to, to go on for so long under, under people's noses... Uh, was uh, was just a horror show that was was living the lot that, that you know young men and women were, were living uh, uh, daily. But uh, as you say, it's it's great to be back uh, that it's in the, the public eye now and um, and it's being exposed. And even those who have been unable to tell their stories or don't feel that like they can tell their stories, hopefully they can get some solace from this. Chelsea have request. <laughs> Chelsea have progressed to the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time since 2013-14, following a 2-0 second-leg victory over Atletico Madrid. Abbott tries to bring it away and pick out Timo Werner, who's getting up to full speed. Hakim Ziyech is alongside him in the middle. It's into Ziyech! Who scores for Chelsea? The win marks a 13th unbeaten game under Thomas Tuchel since he replaced Frank Lampard. He's gone past Luis Felipe Scolari in 2008 for the longest initial unbeaten stretch by a Chelsea boss. Dean and Derek will of course have the full Champions League wrap later on, but for now it looks an inspired decision to move poor Frankie on. What if we see Thomas the Tank Engine? He's just killing it. Isn't well, he? well, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine a final uh, where uh, Chelsea play PSG um, mm-hmm. in the Champions League final? Old Thomas would be uh, licking his chops for that one. <laughs> Certainly would be.
The proposal to change the name of the American Art to King Pele Stadium is receiving some backlash in Brazil, while the man entrusted with the decision, Governor Claudio Castro, isn't ready to make the call just yet. Castro has until next week to decide whether to make the change, but his spokesperson has said his priorities right now lie with COVID-19. The main resistance is coming from the family of Mario Filho, the journalist after whom the Maracanã is named, while Pelé's former teammate Gerson said on his YouTube channel the change would be absurd. Many are pointing to the fact that most of Pelé's feats came at Villa Belmiro with Santos rather than at the Maracanã. Now, my main takeaway here, Michael, is that 80-year-old Gerson has a YouTube channel. That's magnificent. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, my spot, you know, I've got some really great friends in Brazil after all the work we did there, and um, they tell me that uh, the club rivalries are playing out in this, uh, mm. the politics of this decision. And obviously, um, you know, Palais being a Santos player and not one of the big four in Rio is having an impact on that. But surely they can call it King Palais Stadium at, at the American R, something like that. Surely there's a, there's a way of getting around that. And what about the bloke whose decision is not even interested just yet? Well, he's got a bit of an issue with COVID <laughs> over there, just quietly between you, me and the gate post. Brazil's only been the, the country that's had the highest uh, number of deaths in the world. So I imagine he's uh, got his hands full, Willem. Returning Barcelona president Juan Laporta has declared he'll do everything he can to keep Lionel Messi, while also publicly backing Ronald Koeman as the man to take the club forward. Speaking at his unveiling ceremony this week at which Messi was present, Laporta told the Argentine he's the best player in history and that he loves him. How nice is that? He also stated the club's financial plight will be his main priority, while on the pitch he expects them to win La Liga this season. So Rob Barca's internal politics never keeps ticking over. We know that so much of their presidential elections hinges on the key idea of keeping Messi or, mm. or not. So Laporta has clearly put it all on the table. Uh, can he keep him? Well, surely Messi's got to go after the mess that uh, the beginning of this season uh, um, blew up. But, he hasn't been paid all year. I don't know that... Um, None of the players have been paid all year. Yeah, yeah, I guess, well, Lionel, I'm sure he's got enough to pay the rent for next week. Maybe but, he's uh, paying the players. Yeah, well, he, he may be, but um, but uh, look, you, the question you asked was, does he keep Messi? Well, look, who knows? I mean, you know, Messi, Messi is as good at playing these games as the clubs are themselves, so, uh, you know, he, he may say he's going to leave, and then Nighty said he was going to leave last time. It was all done by the shouting, but he ended up staying, so... Uh, you also need to find 300 million euros to... Mm. Uh, prop up the stadium, which is uh, in some state of disrepair as well. The roof is collapsed on part of it. So they've got a big job over there. It's a fascinating saga, but It is. It just continues to happen over there. Yeah. To Croatia, Dinamo Zagreb manager Zoran Mamic has stepped down after being sentenced to four years and eight months in prison for fraud relating to transfer activity at the club. Mamic and his brother Zlatko were charged with tax evasion worth 12.2 million kuna, that's 2.5 million Australian, and siphoning off 116 million kuna from transfers of players from Dinamo, that's 23.5 million Australian. Zlatko Mamic, this is the brother, is a former executive director at the club. He's received six and a half years in jail, but the issue is, Michael, they've got to get him. He's at large in Bosnia. Damir Krasnar will now manage the club. They face Tottenham in the Europa League this week. The old uh, stereotype of Croatian football just being reinforced beautifully by that story. I mean, the old um, paper bags of money uh, stories in Croatian football go back as long as the day... As long as the night is long or as long as the day is night is... What is that fable? Well, yeah, we, we know what, what you're, is you're that? saying. As long as, as the day is long, as the day is It's long. as simple yeah, as... Yeah. As simple as that. But uh, <laughs> thank you for that story, Willem, and uh, my uh, complete uh, uh, catastrophe of trying to make something funny of when it wasn't funny... <laughs> We got your point. <laughs>
The proposed Dutch and Belgian league merger appears one step closer, with the Belgian Pro League's General Assembly unanimously agreeing on the concept in principle. The Bene League merger could be worth 400 million euros a year in marketing and broadcast rights, according to Deloitte, although fans of smaller clubs understandably fear they may be excluded. The recent statement said all 25 clubs are unanimous in their desire to give the Bene League a fair chance. Willem, you've uh, got a bit of Dutch heritage, or a lot of Dutch heritage. Willem van Dender, and he's obviously your name. You're just going to get on the phone to some of the people you know at the Dutch uh, Football Association, the, the Royal Dutch Football Association, and tell them to make this merger happen so we can have a Super League in that part of the world. I reckon that would... they could All the clubs could go in and they could uh, have a rankings and, and have four divisions, and it would be fantastic. What do you think? Well, yeah, you've got to spare a thought for the little guys, including, of course, Willem Tway, one of the smaller clubs down the bottom there. But, yeah, it's interesting. You don't see it very often, Rob. Mergers between leagues. That's, I think it's that's awesome. pretty unique. So I, I think, think it would make a very powerful football league. And, and uh, you know, it, I mean, Belgium and, du- and Dutch football is behind the Bundesliga. It's behind, obviously, the Premier League and French, le- mm. French League. But it wouldn't be, if they merge, it wouldn't be too far behind. Well, the, you wouldn't uh, think so with the performances on the international stage of yeah. both countries. So, uh, yeah. look. We, we don't know enough of Come the on, detail Dutchies. here, but maybe it's a story we should follow up and find out uh, from, you know, a Dutch or a Belgian journo uh, to find out a little bit more Just about like the New South Wales Rugby League merging with the Queensland Rugby League. And Holland f- Holland and Belgium mm. have been thereabouts in international tournaments, but haven't had the breakthrough. We'll get back to that comment in a minute, but they haven't yeah. had the breakthrough. So I think the idea is to raise the standard mm. just that extra 5% more. Yeah. Like Rugby League did. They could have their own state of origin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well done, boys. Okay, uh, Marissa Lordanik from Beyond 90 and the Far Post podcast. We're going to talk everything about the women's game. Sam Kerr's magnificent hat-trick for Chelsea after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport, broadcasting across Australia, around the world, on whatever podcast catcher you get your podcasts from. Our women, they just keep on doing amazing things on the world stage. We wish some of our men could uh, revisit those glory days of the golden era, but uh, we are more than happy that uh, the likes of Sam Kerr, Ed Al are doing it. Big time on the world stage. Hattrick for Chelsea. Plenty more to talk about. Marissa Lordanik from the Far Post podcast and Beyond 90. How are you? I'm very well. Glad to be speaking to you guys. Yeah, it's just uh, great. I mean, this this era has gone on for so long now, hasn't it? Uh, you know, it's almost like we take it for granted that the uh, the Matildas uh, are, uh, are world beaters and, uh, and, and our players are in the top flight uh, everywhere. But uh, as we've seen in other sports and uh, other competitions, uh, you know, you really should enjoy it while it lasts because, you know, there's no guarantee it's going to keep going forever. Absolutely. I mean, it's a testament to the team that, you know, they've had these long careers, but to be fair, they started quite early. So they've had a really strong base of football. And now that they are kind of reaching that peak age of your kind of mid to late 20s, early 30s, it's it's a really exciting time. And it's awesome that, you know, they've had such long careers, but there's still so much football to be played. So you're right, we're very lucky and we need to soak it all up while we while we can and enjoy these players because they are some of the best that this country's ever produced. And there's plenty of names that roll off the tongue, but the marquee one of them all, of course, is Sam Kerr. Hattrick for Chelsea uh, helped them to win the, uh, the League Cup over Bristol City. Uh, uh, is this the, the making of Sam 
on the the women's super league stage uh, she'd uh, come with an incredible pedigree from uh, the uh, the american uh, competition and and uh, uh, was expected to really hit the ground running but didn't i mean uh, she's uh, taken a little while to find her feet but do you think this is the moment that uh, that everything comes together for sam i think she's slowly been building towards this moment so this is definitely i suppose the the biggest and the most dramatic and the most expected of you know what people wanted from Sam Kerr, I keep thinking back to the Community Shield where, you know, some media outlets labelled Kerr's performance in it as like a Wembley nightmare because she just could not find the back of the net and now to kind of see the progression, see how well she's been doing not only in the Super League but in these cup competitions, in the Champions League and to then, you know, top it all off with the hat-trick, with the backflip, with the trophy, it's, it's awesome to see and it is... It's just a big moment for Kurt, so it's it's so enjoyable to watch as a, as a Matildas fan in particular. But I'm sure there's lots of Chelsea fans that are just as delighted that she's wearing their shirt. Marissa, um, Samantha Kerr rightly draws a lot of the media attention, but one other uh, Australian player in Europe um, has started for the last 13 matches in a row with Olympic Lyon, uh, arguably the most uh, successful and prestigious women's football club in the world. Ellie Carpenter is taking France by storm and uh, and she's really now uh, put herself, um, some say, uh, well and truly in the top 30 players in the world. Yeah, absolutely. We all knew that the Leon move was going to be huge for Ellie's career because, one, she is so young and, two, because Leon is just an absolute powerhouse of women's football. So to say that, you know, now we are in season and she has been putting in the performances week in, week out, it's... Again, it's a testament to her. It's a testament to the club that they recognised this talent from this, you know, little kid from Cowra and brought her in. And the fact that she is repaying that faith and showing that she can mix it with the best. She was, you know, best on ground in um their first leg tie in the Champions League round of 16. So she's proving herself. And again, it's one of those situations where as Australian fans we're going to reap the rewards of her success at club level because it's hopefully going to be translated into into Matilda's games. And the bongo drums are beating that her French is getting pretty good too. You'd expect that, but uh, always handy to spend some time overseas and learn another language. Oh, it's She's doing a lot better than I did when I went over to the World <laughs> Cup in France, so I, I've got to give her credit for that because it is not an easy language to learn, so... To be fair, she is, you know, getting all the tutoring and the club supporting her like that, but it's it's very good to see. It is good to see. Now, another uh, player in Europe who hasn't played a lot this year in France, we do love her, um, Mary Fowler. Um, one of the big blunders out of the World Cup was that she wasn't given a cap, which uh, a lot of people close to the game think was a bit silly because she's still eligible to play for Ireland. But I noticed she scored uh, in the last two games and her team, Montpellier, are climbing up the table. I just wonder whether Mary Fowler will figure in the Olympic squad. What, what do you think about that, Marissa? It's an interesting one. Like, we don't get to see much of her playing in the French League because of broadcasting and whatnot. But as you mentioned, she was on the score sheet not long ago. She has been consistently scoring, probably would expect a bit more from herself, I reckon, in terms of uh, output. But there's no doubt that, you know, Tony will be watching he's got his eyes everywhere as far as he can he's got people down here in Australia looking at everyone that is eligible for the Matildas so it will be interesting to see if she does factor into that Olympics uh, conversation hopefully we have some kind of camps soonish to 
further flesh out that discussion, but there's no reason to suggest that Mary can't be a part of those conversations. And if she continues to score over in France and even kicks it up a level, there's yeah nothing stopping her from hopefully donning the jersey. Four goals for Mary Fowler in the French uh, league this year, but uh, a goal scorer closer to home, uh, Michelle Heyman, has uh, well and truly... Uh, jetted past Samantha Kerr as the all-time top goal scorer in the uh, W League history, which is testament to the perseverance of women's football. Mich- Michelle Heyman, um, I've watched a lot of her games this year, and I must say she just looks like she's in fantastic physical and mental condition, and uh, and she scored some absolutely sensational goals, and probably none better than the one that uh, pa- uh, that edged her past Samantha Kerr's. Uh, total um, with a lovely uh, chip over the goalkeeper. Uh, she's made no uh, no secret of the, her ambition to get back into the Matildas. Uh, where do you think Michelle's at and what's the realistic prospect for um, form in the W League standing up uh, when it comes around to national team selection? It's That's a, a big question. I have to say, though, the, the record-breaking goal, it really was a goal worthy of <laughs> yeah, that title. Like, it really... It was fantastic. Of, yeah. It was oh, absolutely incredible. And you're right, she is looking incredibly fit. She's scoring for fun. So she should be in the conversation, much like, you know, Emily Gilnick, who's currently leading the Golden Boot Race in the W League. They should be in this conversation because they are, they're not just performing, they're, I would even say, exceeding expectations and really putting on a show in in the W League. And as fans, we're very lucky that we get to watch it. And especially in terms of Michelle, we're lucky that she had that break. She, you know, got her body right. She got her mindset right. And now we're all kind of reaping the rewards of her decision to take that time off. But yeah, in terms of the Michelle for Matildas, I can't see why she, again, wouldn't be in that conversation, much like Mary Fowler, because she's putting in the performances and that's all she can do. She's, I doubt that she's not in, you know, Tony's mind or in the notebooks from the, the Aussie coaches that are also keeping an eye down here. She would have to be someone that is on those lists. And speaking of the W League, Marissa, uh, around four rounds to go, depending on which club it is. A couple have got games in hand, a couple are ahead of the curve. So you've got Sydney uh, out on top by a couple of points, Brisbane on 22, victory on 20, and then Adelaide and Canberra United respectively fighting it out for that final spot in the top four on 19 and 18, respectively. I mean, how are you seeing this play out? Uh, it doesn't look like a fait accompli by any means. It looks like a pretty competitive final series we're headed into. It's going to be an absolute cracker. As you mentioned, Sydney are the only team that have mathematically qualified for finals, so there's still some moving parts in that top four, and obviously we've got five teams trying to fit into four spots, which doesn't work. So someone is going to miss out, and I think it is a shame because the kind of final three in that top four, so your Melbourne Victory, your Adelaide and your Canberra, they've all been playing really sensational football over the entirety of the season. They've had their kind of low points and their losses and stuff, but they've all played really enjoyable, exciting football. So it's, it is a real shame that one of them has to miss out. But um, I think you're right. It does come down to kind of Canberra and Adelaide and they've got some huge games coming up. Adelaide have the game on Sunday at Cooper Stadium that they're trying to fill out, trying to break the standalone W League attendance record. So it's, it's a huge game, not only trying to break that record, but in really giving them their best shot at um, making finals for the very first time. Come on, Marissa. Um, 
put your reputation on the line, who's going to miss out on the finals, which is the club that you think won't get there? Goodness me. <laughs> I always say that trying to predict things in the W League is a fool's game and I'm a fool. So I think um, I think Adelaide will be the ones to miss out just because Canberra have seemed to kick into another gear and they do have, I think, more games in hand than Adelaide do. So I think there's, there's that little bit of room to go hard and... Uh, give that extra push to make it into finals. And there's a huge game on Saturday between uh, Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. Melbourne Victory, seven games unbeaten. They didn't look so good in an ugly 1-0 win over Perth in Perth, but um, seven games undefeated, you've got to respect that. If they beat Sydney, Sydney then goes to Canberra. Melbourne Victory plays Perth in the last game. And if Canberra, if, if Sydney drop the last two games, Melbourne, Melbourne Victory can finish top. I'm actually really interested in the, uh, the race for the final uh, the, the first and second positions on the ladder because they obviously get home finals in the uh, W League, um, all things considering with COVID. We hope that happens, but uh, they get home finals. And, and obviously, um, you know, that's where most of the winners come from in, in home finals, Marissa. So we're in for a, a thrilling uh, last sort of seven to ten matches, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's the kind of mathematical permutations for the entire top four is insane if you try and wrap your head around it. But victory... That's the thing. It wasn't. They haven't been putting in flashy performances, but they've been getting the wins, and that's at the end of the day, you need the three points in order to make your way up the ladder. So I think they'll be quietly confident that they're grinding out these results. They'll have you know the likes of hopefully Catherine Zimmerman back to really add that spark. They've signed Gabe Marzano, who knows how to score at this level. So. Things do look good for victory, but then, you know, you've got Sydney on the other hand who have kind of wobbled a little bit after an absolutely sensational start. So that Big Blue on Saturday, as you mentioned, is going to be fascinating. Big Blues usually are, but this one in particular has some some real spice to it. Marissa, thank you as always uh, when we talk to you. We know we're getting all the best of uh, the women's game in this country. If you're looking for a good podcast, get on to the At Far Post pod dot com well, I shouldn't say dot com it's on Twitter but uh, at Far Post uh, podcasts and uh, listen to some good footy content and uh, and also beyond ninety to read some of Matilda's articles uh, online. Thanks again, Marissa. We'll talk in a month or so to preview the finals. No worries. Thanks for chatting, guys. My our pleasure, Marissa. Marissa Lord Danny. Okay, we'll stick around. We're going to get back to Europe with Dino and Dell. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a busy show so far. We are going to talk Europe. Um, Ed just had to leave early; he's taken an early mark, so we uh, wish him and uh, his family all the best for uh, a personal reason that he's had to depart. But um, Dino and Derek are on the line. Willem's in the studio with me. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk a bit of Storage King before you move if you move if you need to declutter whatever it is that you need to do you need to call storage king because they are the kings of storage moving and more if you're moving if you're shifting if you're renting as the jingle says store it with storage king home running out of space decluttering downsizing creating a home office storage king has the answer they've got stores everywhere there's a location around the corner they've got a crack team of storage professionals who can organize it for you if you've never stored before just do it it is so easy it'll make more space at home storageking.com.au for your nearest store and don't forget to watch 
Space Invaders. Well done, Willem. I was listening to that whistling in the background. Space Invaders on 9 this Saturday night at 7.30pm. Story Chinger, a major feature of that wonderful show created by WTFN Entertainment on the Nine Network. It is about decluttering, hosted by Peter Walsh, ex-Oprah declutter guy. Um, it is well worth the watch, as I'm sure you would endorse, Derek, for obvious reasons. Oh, look, it's a fantastic show, Rob. And uh, one football team that doesn't need decluttering is Manchester City, Dino. They cruise on in the Champions League. Um, very straightforward victory over a poor Gladbach side. Um, is it too early to be using the Q word? I think uh, City can go and win the Champions League. And, and I think De Bruyne, obviously, he's just come back. But, you know, he's, he's just gone straight back into normal normal process and Gundogan's been brilliant and what a what a goal sneak he is he scored so many goals in this last two months uh, especially when De Bruyne was out um, so I think they've got a massive chance the Q word obviously being quadruple as well Dino and uh, I yeah, don't know no, how many I know where you were no, leaning I know maybe, maybe they maybe they need to one. win a couple <laughs> of those tournaments first and then maybe we can start talking about it um, City looking so dangerous and potent but they didn't play with the striker last night, Dino. They had a false nine, and it, uh, Bernardo, um, Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne all took their turn playing that position. Could you, for maybe the less technically minded, explain mm. how that works and why it can be so effective? When you occupy, say, if you play as a normal nine, and it depends on what system you're playing, are you playing two up front, are you playing three? But if it's the nine, the central striker, then generally the central defenders um, you know, will, will decide they pass them on, depending on what parts of the pitch they're in, and then they deal with it as and when with the next runner coming through, trying to pick them up. And the false nine, when they keep dropping out, it sometimes leaves them with no one. And then all of a sudden, there's like there's little pockets in between the defenders who are holding, let's say, just in front of the, um, in the 18-yard box. Then all of a sudden, there's little pockets where they can get runners coming in, and the false, the nine is actually coming out as you just create space for them to run into. So it can be quite potent. It can be. But, you know, like I, it's like anything. No games have ever been repeated ever in its history of football. So it's going to be something that happens now and then in another couple of years will be something different. Another player that looked in tremendous form for Real Madrid was Vinicius. I don't know if you checked out his performance. Nearly scored a worldie. Didn't get on the score sheet, but he was the most impressive player on the pitch that night for Real Madrid. Real Madrid doing well actually, and uh, and they're not, you know, like it's you look at Real Madrid, you know, but Ramos is in there, Benzema, Asensio, and and obviously great result. I mean, Atalanta most probably were always going to be the second best to Real Madrid. I thought over two legs, but you know, I think they've got they're still a big threat, and I still think they've got plenty to to play for. I tell you what, Chelsea made Atletico Madrid look pretty. A straightforward proposition despite being six points clear at the top of La Liga and Chelsea go on into another quarter final and that little revolution under Tuchel continues and of course with no one really suspected Bayern to slip up in this game probably what did, on paper didn't look like the most comprehensive result but they were well clear and had the luxury of being able to take their foot off the gas 2-1 over Lazio which means that um, we won't know the draw by the time this show goes to air, but we've got Liverpool, Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, Porto, Real Madrid, Chelsea and Bayern Munich. I'm going to go 
do a little mini round, go to you maybe first, Rob. Are you going to pick someone out of that? Yeah, I, I look, I know you expect me just to sort of default to Liverpool. Uh, and it so, so often happens, doesn't it, when you get a, a team that uh, is uh, competitive in, uh, in, in other competitions than their domestic league uh, outperforms their form. So I'm still going to give Liverpool a, a reasonable chance. Uh, but, uh, but I'm just, I'm watching with interest. Uh, I know you're particularly interested in Chelsea and uh, under Thomas Tuchel. I, I just love the idea of that story coming together uh, if they end up playing PSG after he was given his marching orders from, from that club. Uh, so that um, is, uh, is a storyline that, that I'm looking at as well. So uh, Liverpool still, I'm hoping, obviously, and I do think from a form point of view that they're just showing enough lately to beat Wolves at the Molyneux, uh, uh, admittedly, with uh, you know some uh, some issues uh, that uh, you know, around injuries, etc., with uh, Rui Patricio uh, getting that head knock. But, um, yeah, I'm sort of... Uh, uh, wandering into a different tangent here so I'll, I'll let you retrieve where I was going and and keep it back on Champions League Derek yeah no no worries um what about you Dino can you look past uh, Bayern Munich or Manchester City yeah look up that's where my head's at uh, Bayern Munich uh, been there done it got the t-shirts and um and City yeah they always struggled when they get to the quarterfinals um in the past and uh, and for me this is going to be a, I think if they can get to the next stage then I think they could be also the real deal but you can't count out Real Madrid realistically and and to be fair Chelsea have, Chelsea have got as much right as anyone especially under Tuchel I, mean, they've, I think they've only conceded two goals since he's been there Yeah I was talking to Rob this afternoon about Chelsea and just a little feeling that I had that their form curve is going in the right direction they're now very solid at the back. I think some of those strikers will come good. And look, when they won the Champions League the first and only time, they were nowhere near favourites and they and they just went on this magic little run under Roberto Di Matteo, who himself was appointed halfway through the season. So I could potentially see a little bit of history repeating there, but, but we'll yeah. see. Um, Dino, the FA Cup is this weekend and Chelsea, of course, and Manchester City are, are in that along with a host of other Premier League sides. What's the, what are the ties that are leaping out to you? Look, I think the Leicester Man U one is going to be good because obviously they're both doing well. It's second and third in the uh, in the table in the EPL. Um, I think the Chelsea-Sheffield United, I think, especially after Sheffield United getting rid of um, Chris uh, Wilder and then obviously get pants on the next game and, and it looked like the queue definitely went in the rack um, and then Everton Man City is quite tasty and then I quite like the ball Southampton one so hard to choose. I'd love to watch them all. They will certainly be fascinating and I think it'll, yeah, whatever happens, it will be a really good semi-final lineup for that tournament. Quickly looking back to the last weekend and the EPL, um, quite a lot of it just as you were, but obviously let's talk about Arsenal versus Tottenham. There was drama on the pitch, there was drama off the pitch, there was drama before the game even started with Obama Yang who uh, was yeah. dropped uh, um, as captain and from the starting eleven, But um, where do you want to start with this game? Maybe tell it, talk us through Eric Lamella's performance. I mean, I thought he was excellent until they got sent off. And uh, it might have been another yellow and getting the red, but I thought it still was a little bit harsh. Um, but the actual goal uh, was unbelievable. I mean, I watched it, it was live, and 
I couldn't think of what 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 what's he doing there was bodies everywhere and he's just gone for it and uh, and look I thought um, I thought I was a bit disappointed in uh, in the way Tottenham you know went about the game uh, and I thought that the best team won uh, to be fair but uh, the Lamella goal was uh, absolute I mean I was out of my chair literally and it yeah, look, he, takes a lot to get me out of the chair, tell you. Yeah. Uh, as a hardened Arsenal fan, even I had to accept that's one of the best goals I've seen on a football pitch, particularly in this yeah. North London derby. Um, and then looking forward to the weekend, there's not that much around in the in the Premier League, um, but well, the one the, that the really Brighton, stands out be, is be yeah, Brighton, Brighton versus Newcastle United. Do you know, that, talk that, us through that one well well this for me is this this is most probably as big a game uh that this season if, if you're talking just down the bottom end of the table this is really bringing like newcastle on 28 points brighton on 29 goal difference is quite considerable in brighton's favor um it is at home to, for brighton so they've most probably got an edge you just don't know do you you just don't know and uh I think if it's a draw, then I think we just we don't see anything change. But I think if there's a win, especially if Brighton, I think if Brighton win, then that puts really Newcastle right down in the gun. I I think so. I think that will be a huge momentum shift. Um, yeah. Even if you, Newcastle win, I don't necessarily see them kicking on. But I, no, I think Brighton are the kind of team that can go on a run. I think they're better than their position suggests. I like some of their forward players like Trossard, Lalala. You know, there's yeah. there's a lot there, and I'd like to see them stay in the league. I think I think they no, will. I think they're worthwhile, good value. Um, just looking around Europe, I wanted to do a little recap on just what's going on, Rob. Um, in Italy, we've got Inter nine points clear at the top of Serie A. I mean, that's going to be outstanding for them, long long the bridesmaids in uh, in Serie A. Now they're uh, looking good for that. Um, Atletico, of course, defeated by Chelsea, but um, six points clear of Real Madrid, but Real Madrid keeping them honest in that, in that division. Um, Germany are now five points clear of sorry, um, Bayern Munich are five points clear of Leipzig in Germany. Um, so uh, you know, again, looks like another Bayern season. PSG, out of all the usual suspects, are struggling a bit. Then even uh, with Pochettino in Liga, they lost to Nantes and they now trail Lille by uh, three points. And um, Dino, let's maybe look at the EFL trophy quickly because. Strangely, yeah. that was won by two different clubs in a week. Mm. So Salford won the 2020 edition and were the yeah. shortest champions <laughs> in history. And then yeah. Sunderland a week later beat Tramia to endo um, a hoodoo for them. So good on Sunderland, eh? Brilliant, yeah. I mean, I like Sunderland. I want, I want them to come back. I want them to come back because I, uh, I think we're missing something without them in the league. And can I just jump in? That's one of the most brilliantly named trophies as well at the moment, isn't it, Derek? Oh, the Papa John's Trophy. Papa yes, John's. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's a really prestigious a, a tournament, that one. So everyone everyone wants to get their hands on the silverware. So, um, you know, well done to Salford, well done to Sunderland. And Rob, I can feel you wanting me to wrap up. So I'll just say that uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been recalled to the Sweden's national team five years after announcing his retirement. His Instagram said, the return of the god. <laughs> yeah, humble as always, Zlatan. All right, well, just I only want you to pause because we need, we need to, uh, to ensure that our sponsors are supported as they need to be by going to a commercial break. But we'll be back after the break with stoppage time and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a topic that we're all interested in, the Chris White 
Wilder departure from Sheffield United. Stick around because that is next on this show. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is stoppage time. The fourth official has given us a very modest seven minutes uh, left to bring this thing home. Uh, but we want to talk about Chris Wilder and and anyone who's been following the Premier League for uh, a little while and saw the rise of Sheffield United and the pre-COVID season where they were just fantastic. You know, the atmosphere uh, at their home games was incredible and uh, they, they looked like they were going... They, they were almost... They were on the brink of qualifying for Europe in their opening season, but uh, it's all been downhill from there. They're going to go down there on 14 points uh, they're what, 14 points from safety so there's just no chance that they'll survive but uh, yeah Derek Dean uh, Willem it's, uh, it's just a sad story when you see a genuine football man like Chris Wilder who uh, you know who just loves the club uh, and as I read Henry Winter our friend from the Times he wrote um, an owner's own goal it says everything about Chris Wilder's character and his love for Sheffield United that he spoke to the caretaker boss Paul Heggenbotham to wish his friend and the old players well before they played Leicester City who hammered a heartbroken side he wants everyone to do well don't forget it's his club and he feels a pride and responsibility he loves the place how do you sack a guy like that with great ease by the looks of it Rob but you know I think you were talking about their slow decline and you can probably trace a line all the way back to that goal that wasn't a goal that was a goal at Villa Park when uh, Sheffield United had scored and, and, and it wasn't given as a goal and it seems from there that the whole thing is imploded obviously the um, uh, you know I think the thing with Sheffield United is they were always a team playing on the margin so that when they were going well they weren't winning games 3 or 4-0 they were winning them 1-0 and 2-1 and it only takes a little bit of shift in momentum uh, and form in order to, for that good form to turn into in, into poor form but as you said for a guy to take them from the depth of League One. I was there at Wembley watching them lose in a penalty shootout to Huddersfield Town in League One. I don't know how long ago that was. It was a while ago. And they were a ragtag bunch then. That that was about where he picked them up and brought them to, to as you said, to the outskirts of European football. And to be discarded within a season of that uh, is for me just so short-sighted and uh, you know some some someone jokes on a podcast that I listen to you know the best person to replace Chris Wilder and get them back to the Premier League is Chris Wilder <laughs> yeah. so they should just they should just reappoint him what do you think William you share those sentiments absolutely I think they've if they were going to make this decision they should have done it five or six weeks ago and give them given them a genuine chance to get out of the relegation zone but I mean they're on 14 points four clear of 19th, uh, 14 clear of 17th. So they're definitely going down. So I think they've had a bob each way and, and look quite brutal, really. I mean, they should be building the statue of him, not not letting him go, Dean. They're going to need, as Derek said, someone of his ilk very shortly because they're going down. Yeah, look, he's um, he's done a fantastic job. I mean, he, he played, you know, you forget forget about his playing career. Like, he played in his first in 90, I think it was 93 appearances, then he came back for another spell. I think that was in uh, 92, and then uh, they came back in 98 and 99 for 12 games. So you could see he was always gravitating back there. And then obviously, a few years later, he's back into management from 2016 at Sheffield United. So it's been a big, big part of his life. And, you know, look, I, I know a guy called Alan Woodward, who's one of most probably Sheffield United's uh, really, um, well, most probably one of their most famous footballers they've produced as well. And, um, you know, he, when I've ever spoken to him about it, it's, you know, when they when they want to play for Sheffield United and love them, 
like he did, and, and, and I think Chris Wilder's just in the same ilk, um, it would hurt unbelievably that, you know, you'd be discarded and not had an opportunity to, to get them back. And, uh, and and I think there's something to do as well with maybe the way that the, the actual chairman and the finances in regards to what purse strings, because they signed a couple of boys, um, I think the boy from Liverpool, um, what was his name again? Um, the, the lad from Liverpool that they signed. Oh, yeah, um, Brian Brewster. Yeah, um, and which, that which, didn't, go, yeah. didn't work, you know, and that really hurts most probably why the chairman didn't want to kick on and give them more funds. What do you do in that situation? I mean, he's a shake, but I'm not quite sure what kind of shake he is. But in terms of what Sheffield United do, I mean, I felt like they were a bit half pregnant with that signing. It felt like, you know, if yeah. you're going to try and stay in the Premier League, you've got to go a bit beyond that. And look, they are one of the, the lowest turnover clubs in the Premier League. But the Premier League money is far and beyond anything they were earning in the Championship. I'm pretty confident that there was more money there to spend if they wanted. And I think they just kind yeah. of got stuck between doing the West Brom which was, um, you know, just doing your best to survive with what you've got or going for glory. And on the one hand, it's worked with the likes of Wolves who have just come straight up and obviously um, bankrolled and, and, and cleverly run. But then we saw what happened to, to Fulham and uh, that they, they packed their team the, the last time before the last that they came into the Premier League and, and packed it full of prima donnas and, and they got relegated and they got left with a huge yeah. wage bill. So at least the, the I, I kind of worry, Rob, for... Sheffield United because this this squad when you look at it and go on Wikipedia or wherever have a look it's not a Premier League squad it's it's a very much a bog standard Championship squad in it and it compares to the ones that are already there so I don't think there's a guarantee that they'll just bounce straight back up I think they're in a dogfight when they go back down to be honest yeah good rap guys it, it does look pretty nasty doesn't it um, and you hope that uh, for their sake that doesn't happen because uh, it was such a good story for as long as it lasted and uh, yeah if you do jump online and you're looking for for that squad to, to review it, you'll probably come across an article uh, where Prince Abdullah, not four weeks ago, got special permission to fly into uh, uh, the UK to uh, to turn up at Bramall Lane and tell Chris Wilder that even if they get relegated and lose every game for the rest of the season, that his job was safe. Um, you are rock solid, Prince Abdullah. Um, oh, he got the full support of the board. Exactly, we should have known then. And he, exactly, he flew into the country just to tell him that. So, uh, Prince Abdullah, um, yeah, if I ever find you out in the trenches, mate, um, I will be expecting you just to give me a leg up and say, "Run that way, mate." Just run and keep running and tell me when you get to the other side because uh, I couldn't imagine he'll be following you out uh, that enthusiastically. Anyway, gentlemen, uh, that's Chris Wilder. He's a football man. He'll be back again. Uh, we uh, see that so many times. Dino, thank you, brother. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Derek, as always. Pleasure, gents. Thank you. Willem. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, gents. And Damo, thank you. Uh, we, we don't often talk about other sports on this podcast, but we all are sportsmen all around. Damo's just about to head off to the MCG to watch the mighty Navy Blues take on Richmond in the Premiership opener of the AFL. So good luck to you, mate. We hope... Well, I don't really hope because I'm looking forward to Collingwood winning, yeah. I just... But I hate Richmond too. Anyway, that's AFL. But, um, Edge, we wish you all the best, you and your family. There's a few challenging times happening uh, there and uh, we're all thinking of you and I'm sure all our listeners are as well. Please do join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.